G unit or the G or the G spot. G spot is, is not usually a nickname you refer to someone as. Guelph is the G spot. Oh uh, man, I, anyone I know whose last name is like starts with a G or their first name starts with a G, they're like the G thing, the G unit, the G spot, Moji. Sure, but the G spot is the G spot not like in the woman's vagina that makes her orgasm? Yes. Yeah, yeah, but that's part of the fun. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Professor. Yeah, yeah, we know what the G spot is. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that the part? That was that, great uh, what you were doing with your hand, though, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, love, I love when you talk with your hands like that. Hey, come, come here. Come here. Oh, my God. Hello. Hello. Is it the G spot a myth? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. So funny. Why, why have you been listening to the G Unit lately, Bundes? You know what? I was just like listening to like an old school hip hop kind of playlist. Totally. How old would this be? Uh, 2003. 2000. Oh, all right. So not that old. Well, it's like almost 20 years old now. This is like, I remember bumping 50 Cent, the game, totally. G Unit, all that kind of stuff back when I was in high school. So this takes yeah. me right back. I was just thinking maybe it was like early hip hop. No, old. like, no, no, not Because it's kind of got a bit of that cheesy vibe to it. It, that early hip hop has. I don't know I, if I, I call I, it cheesy. This I wanna get the now. Yeah, come on, give me a break. When it's do you like ever a cheesy sex to song. words? You're not a word guy. Yeah, well, how do you not listen to the words of this? I wanna get to know ya. Uh, uh, oh, uh, oh. I think this song actually has a really cool melody and beat to it. Yeah. But the but the um the chorus like the I want to get to know you is that classic early 2000s R&B kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit to me a little bit. Yeah, totally. Change the words a little bit, but that's why I mean like it's got that almost quality that is almost a parody in itself. But anyway, yeah, you could totally picture like Andy Samberg and yeah, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, exactly. My dick in a box. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to get to know ya. I like rap songs that have the singing verse. You know, that's a perfect formula for me. Yeah. The singing verse with the rapping. Even if it's a little cheesy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't mind a big old slice of cheese. All right. Fromage. (laughs) Fromage, yeah. Oh, my God, guys. I wish I would have never watched this show last night that I can't get out of my head. I'm so disturbed. I'm so. It's that crazy, eh? I wouldn't even tell you to watch it. And actually, the more I've been diving into it this morning, because I couldn't get it off my mind, I'm realizing that Netflix is being criticized for uh, how gory it is. And the show I'm talking about is Night Stalker, which is a documentary about a serial, serial killer in L.A. in the 80s. And they're interviewing two detectives that were on 
the case. And are are people saying that it's like too much information in well, this documentary? Like they should be a little more discreet about some of the terms they use and some of the photographs. Like they show you crime scene photos yeah. that were taken, like real photos, and they put like X's or. I found that they didn't black out enough of those pictures. Like they were too gory, especially maybe I'm more sensitive because I know it's real. Yeah. You know, this is this really happened. So to see some of those crime scene photos, I'm like, oh, man, you should have blurred that out a little bit more. I don't even remember there being a warning before it started, actually, now that I think about it. That this documentary portray like shows some pretty graphic stuff, and I'm curious because Bundus watched the whole thing. I'll yeah. I won't watch another episode. I can't like it's too disturbing. I found the cops like that were talking about it a little bit like, um, and maybe they have to be a bit insensitive, but they made it more about them. Like, oh, I was on the case. They chose me. And the head detective picked me as his partner. And here are these two cops that are so super well-known on this case. And I'm like, I don't care about the ego behind it. But they had to have a big ego, apparently, to be put on those cases. Because when that unit would come in, everyone would be like, oh, my God, it's the, it's the homicide unit. And these guys are a really big deal. Step back, everyone. Yeah, that first episode definitely got into the personality of the cops a little bit and what, what you know, the landscape was for them before this humongous case got dropped on them. Mm. Um, and the one detective that's kind of focused on doing the interview, he was like a nobody at the time. Like, this was his first big case and he got paired up with this, you know, uh, legendary. legendary detective. So it was a big deal for him to kind of like, you know, step up to the plate. And it just so happened that this case got dumped on him, which was... Um, Probably not, you know, not the one that you'd want for your first case, right? Yeah, but his theory was correct. Was and correct, yeah. and nobody would listen to him because he was like a young buck on the scene and all the old detectives were like, oh, this new guy knows nothing. What do you mean his theory was correct? His theory was that the serial killer uh, who was killing women and men, couples together. Yeah. Um, oh my God, Siri is... Uh, Talking to you? Talking to me. About what? She's listening to me. Killer. Oh. (laughs) He's talking about definition of killer. That's creepy. He's watching. (laughs) Jesus. Um, What was I saying? I don't know. <laughs> oh, the, so the the prosecutor, oh. or not the prosecutor. Oh, yeah, the, the detective was like, had a theory had that a theory there that, was no motive? Or? No, the theory was that the guy who was doing all of those killings was also abducting children. And it's very rare that you would have a killer who would do both of those things. You know, you have a child abductor or you have... Uh, a guy who kills um, women, women or men or a guy who kills this type of person or yeah. that, you know, you don't have somebody who just does everything. And yeah. this guy did everything. Yeah, there was there was multiple uh, crimes going on. And this one detective kind of started to think that perhaps it was the same person committing all these different types of crimes. And everyone same. was blowing him off. Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. bet he loved when he was right. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> I yeah. mean, obviously, it's ho- under horrible circumstances just to be like, in your face, I told you. Yeah, he was surprised, actually, because he went to the, like, children's detective unit who handle any cases involving kids. And he's like, I think we have the same guy here. And they, like, laughed him away. So when he teamed up with this super experienced detective who had a lot of experience, he had 
already captured a serial killer uh, the you know a decade earlier they they started believing the theory mm. so that reminds me of season three of stranger things when oh. nancy was pitching her story about the rat that turned to jelly and all the old uh, season reporters laughed her out of the boardroom and told her to make a cup of coffee for everybody yes yes i remember that scene that would be frustrating if you're like coming up in the forest or something and you have this theory and you're pretty sure you're right and everyone's like you get out of get here. Out of here yeah you have no seniority you don't know what you're doing yeah yeah, but just they also like the when I say serial killer, you assume that all of his victims are dead, but some of them didn't die. Some of them survived. And some of the children, he seemed to not kill a lot of the kids. He seemed to abuse them and then send them back home. Oh, my God. So they had the stories to tell. And it is just like there's the, just pure evil, right? Well, pure evil. And also the vividness in which this one woman, because I only saw the first episode and I won't watch it again. Just the vividness of how she remembers everything, you know, of how he captured her in the night and this is LA and maybe people slept with their windows open it's hot right but he cracked her bedroom window open and she was six years old and kind of half asleep but the way he looked at her um she just thought she knew him like it was a family friend. Like well, because you're six. You you're six and you trust. You don't know of evil like this. Yeah, Hopefully, you, you've never had any experience with it. Right. So somebody says, come on, come on. You just kind of get out of bed and follow them. And he took, carried her out the window and put her in the car. And then they're driving and he opened the glove box and there's a gun in the glove box. And he's like, that is there. So you behave. And oh she still God. didn't know what was going on. I don't even want to hear won't these tell stories. You Honestly, anymore. I don't want to know anymore. I won't tell you anymore. And I... Uh, I did a lot of research into serial killers um, at university. I did like this criminology class and I was doing a paper on profiles of a serial killer. So I would get into all the notorious ones, the Ted Bundys, the Jeffrey Dahmers. I don't know anything about those guys. I don't think I want to know. I I mean, like uh, Ted Bundy really went after sort of like university age, college age women. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you dive deep into Bernardo... Bernardo and, you know, the Scarborough rapist and like, yeah. you know, the way he progressed and, and the path he was taken, like, thank God he was caught because that guy was not going to stop. This was just the beginning. He was just getting really more into it. Yeah. And he had his partner in crime along right. with them, you know, so it was like he had his buddy that was uh, which okay you can with the see, idea, too. Which you can see how beneficial that would be oh. for uh, luring victims, right? To have somebody, an accomplice. Yeah, well, that poor little girl, uh, Tori Stafford, that was abducted in Woodstock, uh, was abstu- uh, abducted thanks to the help of the guy's girlfriend at the time, right. you know? <gasps> so I'm just, I'm just curious, more like, you watched, like, the Jeffrey Epstein documentary, right? Yes, mm. I did. So... Is it more the graphic nature of like what they're showing visually to you in this documentary that makes you more uncomfortable and you can't watch this one versus something like that? Because they're equally disturbing, like the content. Um, the, that's a good point. Well, but the severity of the crime does make a difference. Well, I mean, child molestation is child molestation. Yeah, but I mean, when you're you're talking about a serial killer, you know, you can't compare like what Jeffrey Dahmer did to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. I, I can, I can, you know, again, I'm not saying it's any less emotionally damaging on the person, but mm-hmm. just 
imagining that happening would be like there are there is like a degree there. I turned to Matt at one point when they hadn't brought up the kids yet. And I said, well, thank God he, he's not going after children. At least at least uh, the women. It started off as like women, um, any any age. And uh, I thought, well, at least they're like fully grown and not that it's any better, but at least they're not going after kids. And then, of course. Yeah, they started covering the kids. As a kid, I came home for lunch from school, and my mom was watching this, uh, this I think it was like a miniseries on the Atlanta child murderer. So there was this guy, and he was abducting children, mm-hmm. and he was, whatever, murdering them. And there were lots of kids that died. Um, the guy's name was Wayne something. I forget. But anyway... Uh, I was too young to be watching that. I think my mom was so into it. You know, she couldn't well, turn it off. She couldn't turn it off. You oh, know, like God. one of those things where you're just like, ah, they're probably not even paying attention right. to it. <laughs> I, I had to walk to school after watching this for, I don't know what it was, 45 minutes or something oh after lunch. And every time a car came by, I hid. Like I was, <gasps> there was like snow banks and I'd hide behind snow banks. Like oh it God. messed with my head. I might've been in grade six at the time, grade five. And I just, uh, it's anytime you start looking into what went on with these various killers, it's so disturbing that, uh, yeah, I think it is on a different level than Jeffrey Epstein. Not I've, to take, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to me, I think so too. I mean, some of the, I mean, you know, this Bundus, he seemed to be really into torture and fear. Um, like he wanted to see you scared before he killed you. And there was one woman who didn't act scared and he put his gun down and just walked away because he wasn't getting the high from her, you know? Yeah. It's also like he, he, they portray it as something very satanic in the documentary. Yes. Like he like constantly is going on about like hail Satan and how he's almost like a, like Satan incarnate kind of thing. So there's a lot of, um, uh, almost horror undertones to the way the visuals are presented and how they flash certain things yeah, on the screen. Yeah, you're right. And like the pentagrams that'll show up and like the sketches of his face with the music behind it. Like it really makes him seem like he is a demon, like he's not of this world. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and maybe that's why the documentary is being criticized. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was one of the best documentaries I've watched in a while. I thought it was so compelling because of the way it was told. Like, they don't show you who this person is, and they create this uh, mystique around the killer the whole time. You're wondering, like, is this man real, or is it something superhuman kind of thing? Mm -hmm. And I found it fascinating to watch. But I find human nature and all these kinds of things very, very intriguing to me. I'm always curious to know, like, why do people do what they do? I find so why it, did he do what he did? Did you get any clarity? Was it, like, I didn't hear, was there a backstory? Uh, you know, bad childhood growing up, sexual abuse, abuse of all kinds. Yeah. Um, and that lack of empathy that is constantly, or... Yeah, you have to have zero, like, uh, you have to have zero remorse. Yeah, like, it's ba- it was basically, like all of his empathy and his compassion was like forced out of him as he grew up in that kind of abusive situation. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the times these, these uh, killers want to put that, what was done to them onto other people. Mm-hmm. And that's what it seems like he was doing. He was like, a, a real, he, he embodied like a, like a disassociated kind of second personality where he became the evil that was, that was done to him. And then he started doing it onto others, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that he didn't kill the children. I'm looking at, uh, he did it all in a year. 
That's crazy. Like a like crazy rampage. Started like yeah. I think the, the first known victim is uh, June 1984, but every other one, and it looks like they've listed 18 here, uh, was like in 1985. And there's always like the problem with this is you never really know all the numbers necessarily because. No. Um, often like, uh, so the Atlanta child murder, uh, the guy's name was Wayne Williams okay. and he, uh, was convicted of murdering two people, but they suspect there were at least 23 others. Oh my God. They all fit the MO, right? Right. Um, you know, same with, uh, I don't think they know exactly how many people, uh, Ted Bundy murdered, how many people Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. murdered. They just, the girl who was, um, being abused by him. He put her, he said, you got to get in this bag now. It was like a black duffel oh, bag. Oh, I don't want to hear this. To you carry, can't tell me this. Well, I, no, I'll just, I mean, she survived yeah. to, to go into the house. So that's how we got her in and out of the house was in like a kind of a duffel bag. But she said when he was abusing her, there was one moment when he, they kind of like looked at each other in the face and he said, I'm, I'm sorry what I'm doing to you. But he was always very like deadpan. Yeah. And, um. It was like the next day that he ended up releasing her. She had to get back in the bag. He took her to like a convenience store, said, okay, you can get out of the bag and go tell somebody behind the cash to call 911 and go be with your family again. This is why people won't let their kids walk to school anymore. Not that there's any more people abducted today than there were in the like 80s and 70s. I think in the 80s, people were leaving their front doors unlocked a lot, though. Like, yeah, but people I'm, talked about that in the documentary. Like, my point is, though, not that it doesn't, ha- it, 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 it happens just as often. But the difference is, is that yes. we're watching shows like this and it gets in our head. And then we're yes. like, okay, well, I can't sleep with the window open. I can't drive. I can't let my kid walk to school. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know what you like mean. Like it turns into this giant mind fuck. Mm-hmm. And again, not that more people are abducted today, but people won't let their kids out of their sight because of these stupid documentaries and books. And I wonder if like... Um, and they glorify it to some people. Mm-hmm. Like some people, you know, um, I was just, because I pulled up the page on uh, on Richard Ramir- Ramirez, who mm-hmm. is, you know. The Night Stalker. The, the Night Stalker. Or the Valley Intruder was another name. Uh, but anyway, there were women that like were writing him in jail and throwing themselves at him. He ended up getting married. A, it looks like what? a couple of times. Like, you know, people know what he did yeah and they're like they're okay with it they're they're okay with it well actually his it looks like his first wife that he married in jail ended up leaving him when dna evidence proved that he actually murdered a child can we just say thank god for dna evidence oh yeah (laughs) what how great was that when they figured that out and rape kits that they could identify people with dna it's, it's, it, what's really interesting is watching that documentary. It was like they could not catch this guy for the life for the life of them, right? He just kept skirting them. Mm. And if you were to try and pull something like that off in this modern world, like you, you wouldn't be able to with all the cameras, social media, yeah, hopefully, all, yeah. alarms. It would be so much harder to to do what he did. Mm-hmm. Like you might might get one in. And then you're caught. Like the, this guy, I don't. I don't even know how many he did. Well, you say that, but what about uh, you know the most recent Toronto serial killer? I'm blanking on his oh, name, and yeah. it doesn't even matter yes. what his name uh, is. But he murdered a, a number of people in this day and age, using where, social media really yeah. as a lure. But you know, there were cameras, there was all that stuff around. So you say it couldn't happen, or it'd be a lot harder for it to happen today. But still, people are getting away with it. People definitely can get away with it. My point is that like. 
if you when you're watching this like they, these cops had nothing like they had nothing to go on until they somehow managed to come across a buddy of this guy and they beat the shit out of the buddy in order to get the name like that's how they got the information to 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 find Richard Ramirez how did the like how did the, what's the deal with the buddy how did the buddy know Richard and did he know he was uh up to crazy stuff like that I don't remember exactly because I watched it when it first came out. It's been a little while, but they were following clues with in regards to a shoe and tracking down certain stores. And eventually they got a name. I don't remember exactly, but that name was of this friend. And they went to, to this friend and, and they started talking to him. And they mentioned a, a name that they had heard in an interview or, or like a phone call. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. There was a phone call that was left at the police station saying, I think that this guy is X person. Oh. And then they talked to them and they got, and then he, and after like, in, I think the cop was saying like they were in the car and they were talking to his buddy and in the car, like the cop literally turned around and kind of like punched the, the the friend in order to like get him to spill the name of right. who the mm. Night Stalker was kind of thing. Jeez. Um, and it, and like all, Bruce MacArthur, that was the one that you were yeah, referencing. Yeah. Yes. Although that was horrible and he got away for with it for a while, they, they, there was enough evidence to kind of trace him back eventually and find him, right? I, I don't know if that would have happened. Like I... A cop didn't have to beat the crap out of someone, you know, to to get a name in that situation. That, mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to allude to. Right. That that Atlanta guy, it was like they used carpet fibers. Did they? You know, that they matched to that were found on the victim that were like oh. matched with those in the killer's house. Wow. Uh, the technology, eh? That was, Did you I mean, that your... was pretty miraculous that they were able to make that discovery, yeah. you know? Did you in your studies at university when yeah. you did this course? It uh, fucked with my head, by the way. I'm like sure it, it did. When you read these books and you're doing all this research, it messes with your head. They say some people who become fascinated by serial killers could eventually become killers themselves. That that's, Why the fuck is this documentary on TV then? You know, Why is this doc on TV if it's a trigger, potentially? But um, did you ever talk about like why people go down that road like what the trigger is and well, do they all have the same trait no i mean they a lot of them have similar backgrounds where they were either it's like a childhood of abuse or a broken home uh you know children of multiple divorces mm-hmm. like there's a number of factors plus i also think you just need that chip in your brain like that's uh, off to, to, to be a little bit off because look i mean my mom divorced twice right not a serial killer <laughs> i mean i wasn't abused I, I still had a decent upbringing despite yeah. that yeah but yeah you combine a lot of factors into play and then you know there's some people you can see some like sociopathic tendencies within them but they, mm-hmm. they're not driven to kill but you can just see some personality traits in people where they don't feel remorse you look at a guy like Donald Trump. I don't think that's a guy who's capable of remorse. Mm-hmm. Like it just, he seems like his brain doesn't work that way. And it may have been because his dad was a giant asshole. <sighs> and, you know, say what you want about Donald Trump. But I, I don't think that guy really ever feels bad ever. Mm-hmm. I feel he bad constantly. Doesn't, doesn't you know? seem like he does. Yeah. yeah he doesn't so, carry himself uh, like like he's the kind of guy that ever apologizes for anything. Yeah, and I, I, I've known other people that, you know, no one would know, but that seem to have, like, something off in their brain where they just don't see the wrong in what they're doing, and they don't have any, like, they don't feel bad for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And so you you got to combine all that stuff together, and it's just, uh, I don't know, looking into all these stories, it's dark and it's scary, because I always, like, Bundes, you can remove yourself from the equation, and you can just look at the... 
you know, the overall, um, I don't know, factors that led to all this. For me, I immediately put myself in the position of the victim. Yeah. And I think about what it'd be like to be in a sorority house that Ted Bundy's broken into and he's holding all these women in a room and mm-hmm. pulling them out one at a time, you know, murdering them. And I'm like, God, what if I'm in that room and I'm, you know, yes. I'm imagining the door opening and him coming in and grabbing another. And I'm yeah. like, ah. I yeah, don't yeah, want. Yeah. I don't want to have that in my head. Yeah, can't remove myself or from that. Or kids can't handle the kid thing because I just think about harvest. Last night yeah. I was like, huh, how hard would it be to get through that window? One, one of the worst <laughs> things I ever did was when my kids were of similar age to Tori Stafford in Woodstock was I read all the details of that trial. Like I and I was like, that was a huge mistake because it was in my head forever and to this day. Like knowing some of the details of how her, her life ended. I find like it's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Well, they say if you do jury duty, you can have post-traumatic stress. I believe it. Because you saw pictures, you hear the stories, you oh hear from the victims, and then they say thank you for your service of jury duty, and you're gone. And yeah. it's like I need help now. I I need to speak to someone because I'm yeah I'm having post-traumatic stress syndrome right now. And I don't know if it's because I have two daughters now, but just like the thought of anything happening to them in you know oh the same vein of what's happened to lots of people in the world, I, it crushes me. I, I I don't get me wrong. Like I have watched things or like trials, news stories, read docu- documents, documentaries, and I have found myself like in tears reading some of these things mm-hmm. and yeah. I don't have children, but especially whenever I hear like th- things about children break my heart. It's, yeah. it's disgusting to mm-hmm. me, but I still, for me, I still find it important to understand this stuff. Like, because I, well, somebody has to, Yes. Somebody has to understand it. People like you who are who become like interested in how that becomes a thing. I mean, people have to be homicide detectives. Wouldn't be a role that I would sign up for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be the cop that works the concert at Scotiabank Arena. <laughs> got the gun, I got the vest, you know, walk around and be like, oh yeah, look at that. Cool show. I don't want to be the cop who shows up at the crime scene. Yeah. You know, or and shows up at the house where the child's been abused. I say there's a lot of ego involved in that, but I think you have to have one. You have to have a layer around yourself and think like, I, I have to solve this case. I have to look at these things I, that other people would never even be able to look at and be uh, taking it all in like a scientist as opposed to an emotional thing. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty dark stuff. And I recently watched True Detective, and just after I watched uh, Night Stalker, I rewatched season one of True Detective, and it's, oh my God. it's the same thing, like how, how these detectives get so wrapped up in these horrible, horrible cases, and you watch them spiral out of control yes. and, into their own, like, drinking and drug problems because they're so focused on, like, you know, saving this victim or speaking for this victim who who can't, you know, speak for themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. I just find it so fascinating that, that people are out, out out there willing to put themselves in a situation to like potentially oh. screw up their whole fucking life themselves. Police is not a job I envy. Like I would, uh, I would not, I don't look at cops except for the one at Scotiabank Arena during the concert. <laughs> they're like, hey. no, but you know, that's like usually extra paid duty. You know, right. it's not their day to day job right. being at concerts. Concert cop. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I think police like earn every dollar they make. Uh, most of their day, for the exception of a few, is dealing with just society's most troubled Mm -hmm. people. Yes. Whether it's their fault or not, they're dealing with people who are having the worst day of their life. Yeah. And they're surrounded by that every day. And you think that, God, I would not want to do that job. Yeah, 100%. Well, it'd be cool to have like a license to carry a gun and someone's like, 
pissing you off and you're just like, oh, yeah, you want a piece of this? <laughs> That's another reason why I couldn't be a cop. I'd be pulling my gun yeah. all Who the time. Who wants oh, a piece? Yeah? Who, <laughs> I've been taking advantage my whole life because I'm a scrawny guy. Now i got a gun. Boom. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'd be the worst. <laughs> I would be the worst. the worst. I'd be in my car. I'd be like putting on the sirens out of the passing lane. Let's go. <laughs> I'd have to be an undercover cop though with... Yeah. Just flick on the lights that are in, built inside the uh, grill. You'd be the exact fucking thing that you constantly complain about all the time. <laughs> what, what's that? What do you mean? Like cops that are on authority power trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, yeah, I wouldn't be beat you. up people who were being arrested. You just I would wave just, your pistol around. No, no, what I would do is all the bullies in the world, all the people that I hate that are like, uh, feel empowered to be dicks, mm-hmm. those are the people I'd want to put in their place. Not like the guy who's too high and, you know. Right. But maybe maybe that cop, when you were on the soccer field during the pandemic when all the parks were shut down, and you were on the field with your daughter throwing a frisbee around, and that cop pulled up to you uh, and he popped the cherry, then he's yeah, like, yeah. you can't be on here. No, maybe no, he felt the same that. way. Maybe he was a nerd or something like that, and now he's on a power trip and he just wants to like, or maybe he doesn't have a wife or kids, and he wants kids, and he didn't like the fact that you had a kid, so he wanted to no, stick it no, out no, on no. you. No, no, right? That cop was the cop that was like a bouncer at a club <laughs> because he loved the power and then wanted to roll through in a career where they can be the bouncer where they can be the bouncer of yeah. life <laughs> like I, I you know there's a lot of talk of like uh defunding the police i i think that there's a bit of a misconception on what that means but i really do think law enforcement needs to be retooled and there needs to be new approaches to different situations yeah there are times you need to have a cop who can pull a gun and gun some you know a bad guy down but there's a lot of cases where the intervention requires no force whatsoever yeah and uh, and so i do you know, understand the need to make changes because, you know, society changes, our standards mm-hmm, change. Mm-hmm. But uh, now that cop that, yeah, I don't even want to think about that cop. Don't think about that cop. That, well, guy, like I was out that there. guy, to be honest. Parks weren't closed. Green spaces were open. It and was, it was a gray area whether or not I was in a green space. And, and he could have said, hey, pro- guys, sorry, but you're not supposed to be there is the way he should have approached yeah. it instead of like, get off. And put on the signs when I'm out there with my daughter. And then I'm like, oh, well, where can we go? I'm not even going to get into that. Like, you the know guy what? was a huge asshole. He may have mis- mistook you for, like, a couple of teens, you know? No. From the back, you could have looked like a teenager with your daughter. And, and he approached it as, like, I'm going to yell at these guys and scare them. And then when you were, like, actually a grown-ass man. Hey, again, not the approach, even if we were teenagers. You're right. The approach is you handle things with, you know, class. Yes. And you be polite. You're and right. And then you wait f- and you react true. to the response. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, yeah. So if I was that cop, I wouldn't be like on a power trip to enforce, you know, everybody. I just want to shut some of the douchebags down. I know. That are, uh, you know, the, the person will butt in line. Be like, get the fuck back there! <laughs> or suck on some lead! Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, you're the worst! Ah, be like vigilante justice. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like why I'd love to have superpowers. You know, not so I could go beat the shit out of innocent people, but so I can put people who need to be put in their place in their place. Yeah, no, I get it. So I, I want to be like, have a ninja powers and be like Superman and could stop bullets with my face and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dream on. Yeah. Dream on. Doesn't every kind of scrawny kid dream for that opportunity to like not take shit anymore? Yes. From people who are dishing it? 100%. When is, you were lucky that you were built with a certain set of skills that have allowed you to, you know, 
Oof. put the brakes on some yeah. situations like that. You know, but when I uh, when I was a kid, I was very I was very fat. I was overweight, and I used to get picked on all the time. Just, oh yeah, yeah. Like I was not the cool kid growing up, and it it took enough of that shit to change my mindset to not want to be a victim and like change my body and take on a different personality. And, wow. and it, and it well, wasn't, you probably had someone on your life that guided you on that journey. Yeah. I mean, like my dad was great. He, he definitely like, you know, taught me a lot of lessons. Yeah. And, my dad taught me no lessons on any of that stuff. <laughs> I had no one in my life that was like saying like, Hey, you want to be, you want to, you want to stand up for yourself, be tough. This is what, you know, there was no one that taught me that. So, I, you know, that, that's, that's, I think such a big problem with young boys. Like, and it, it doesn't have to be your dad per se, but like you, you need as a young boy, a, a strong kind of male role model to show you hmm. what it means to be a man and like how to harness the power that, it, that you inherently have and to use it for good in the world. Mm-hmm. Because if you, nobody teaches you how to use all that strength and power, like, and physical power, like, I mean, mm-hmm in a positive way, you end up using it for, f- for like tyranny and, and, and you use it in destructive ways. Mm-hmm. That's how you kind of end up with bullies who use their might and their force to just screw other people over. But if you know how to harness that power and you know how to, how to prowess, which is like, um, like, uh, to make a horse, like a war horse under the authority of the rider. So if you know, like when they, you know, uh, I don't even want to get into like a religious oh, no, text. No, this is going somewhere. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Well, yeah, are you worried I'm going to have like... <laughs> I'm waiting for the music. I'm okay. waiting for the music. Okay, there right. he is. Professor Mondes, what's that? I can't hear you. <laughs> no, no, I was interested. No, no, we yeah. were interested. Yeah. There's, there's a line in the, in the Bible that says the meek shall inherit the earth, right? And everybody yes. always interprets the word meek as being somewhat like timid or shy. But meek actually means to, to make a horse. And if you... The original translation comes from the Greek uh, in writing up the Bible. And meek... In Greek, means praus, which actually means a war horse that has been tamed and kept all of its animalistic uh, ferocity, mm-hmm. but it's under the control of the rider. So when when the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth, it means a, a person who is a warrior, someone who is fully ferocious and has all of that that power but it's under the authority of god so it's someone who knows how to wield a sword Mm -hmm. but walks forward with its sheath do you know what i mean yes yes totally uses their power for good you know when i watch a a series like band of brothers you know that talks about like this group of people who are real people it's based on real stories and uh and you know what they did in world war ii and i think about like what how I would be in that situation, not having that set of skills that, you know, you talk about like you want to walk with your sword sheath, but if you have to pull it, you got to be able to use, use it. it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I have it in me to like be a warrior. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I would just sit there and be the guy they show in the movie who's like shell shocked <laughs> and can't even fire their gun mm-hmm. or um, saving private Ryan. Remember, like that that guy who just stood there while the German guy killed uh, his uh, yeah. his mm-hmm. buddy. Like, I feel like I would be that guy who would just be locked in fear in that situation. Sure, I'm and too fearful. It's totally understandable because we are not really exposed to to many threats in our modern day society, and it's not like there's a lot of um, places if you don't actively go out to search, like how to how to harness that, like how to harness your fear and control your fear, and like use your power for good there's 
I, I was very lucky to, to have a father that taught me that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of young boys out there that don't have that. And it's sad because if more people could be like that, I feel like we'd have a better society overall. Mm-hmm. I feel like there'd be a lot of sh- less shitty people out there. Well, with women too, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't have to be a man to, you know, learn to stand up for yourself and to walk with that sword sheath. We're talking uh, a lot in kindergarten right now, and I know this because of virtual school, but just like the verbiage is, uh, was that a friendship move or a friendship block? And uh, when Harvest is out of line and says something mean, it's a friendship block. Uh, Bullying is a friendship block. Friendship moves is extending your hand to help somebody. It's so interesting, uh, bullying, uh, the whole concept of, you know, teaching people not to do it. It's such a difficult thing Mm -hmm. because I feel like bullies are, you know, they're already damaged in a way like we were talking about with uh, certain serial killers. Like there's part of their brain that doesn't understand that pain that they're inflicting and you can tell them that it's wrong to do it, but... Like I, my own personal experiences with say my kids and scenarios they've been involved in with, or their friends, like these bullies have grown up in this system that teaches you that bullying is wrong, Mm -hmm. but it still happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And most from the people that I've seen who are the bullies, it would appear like it's, it has something to do with the childhood and the way that they're raised and that they're, you know, there's so much pressure and they're, um, there's so much enforcement, let's say, at home that mm-hmm. the, it's almost like their reaction to that. They want to have some control outside of the home and they take advantage of other people in order to get that sense oh, of power right. that they have none of in their, in their own home. Gotcha. I mean, no control at home. So they get it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. So you say like they teach kids. I, I wonder like if there's ever going to be a world without bullying. I mean, there could be better enforcement of it for sure. But I feel like, um, you know, there's... A, Unless you have, like, perfect parents and the perfect uh, scenario in every child's home, mm-hmm. yeah. which is never going to be the case. And, and unfortunately, that's such a big part of it. Like, Oh, um, my God. Home life, I think, is the... It's, uh, yeah. It's so important. Uh, it's was, where the seed starts yeah. to grow. Like there, there's something I was reading that was basically saying, like, uh, the first few years of, of a child's life, they need nothing but, like, unconditional love and positive examples of what, like, r- relationships are supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And then at around the age of seven, in particular for boys, is when the father or the, the father figure in the home is supposed to start treating the boy as more of a man and, like... You know, playing a little more harder with him to teach him that value while the mother still gives him the unconditional love to balance the ma- the masculine side of a young boy. I'm not as versed uh, on females because I'm a man myself. I was more curious about young boys. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, yeah, up, up until about seven, it's it's all dependent on what's happening in your home. If if, if you are in a toxic environment where you're constantly seeing your, your parents go at it, mm-hmm. that's all you're going to replicate in life if you don't have empathy yeah, shown. no matter what's being taught in kindergarten. Yeah, because like, yeah, yeah. that's your norm. That's what the norm is. That's normal. And that's how love is, is expressed in your house. Yeah, or like, exactly. or yeah, there is no love. Unless you're listening to the G unit, boy. <laughs> I think we needed to inject a little bit of love into this conversation. If you come outside, you know it's on. I'll let you for Are you the only one not dancing right now? Come on, man. It's making me laugh. This song. I want to be a lover. 
This reminds me of like 70s hip hop, honestly. I'm bang this one in the car on the way home. Yeah. Nice. Sun is shining. Maybe because I'm busy and she needs Thanks for checking out the podcast. We'll talk to you soon. From time to time, I gotta ignore in order to let her know that we friends and nothing more. She loves it when I'm in town. Hate it when I'm not around. I get her and wear down. Next door neighbors hear the sound. Pictures hitting the ground. Just enough to hold us down. I'm sticking and moving. Cruising after the third round. Just lay back, baby, and let me drive you Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.